0: middle of the pack real discussions for the middle of the pack by
1: the middle of the pack we'll talk about training and racing but we're here to deep dive into the life topics of the weekend warriors and obstacle course racing enthusiasts obstacle course racing isn't just a sport it's a lifestyle we are the middle of the pack hey everyone and welcome back to middle of the pack podcast it has been a couple months, I am here with my co-host, Megan.
0: Hey guys, it's been a hot second.
1: Yeah, we have been pretty freaking busy during the summer, um, coming into our uh, probably even busier fall schedule.
0: My fall schedule isn't really that hard. Well, it's hard, it's just not that busy. And why is that? Well, right now, all I have is OCRWC coming up, and then... I'll run the fit 24-hour race, and then realistically, my season's done. I was racing way more in the summer, and arguably we were focusing on our mental health, our professional development, you know, making sure that we were all right.
1: Yeah, and that's what uh, takes priority. I think a couple times I meant to post that we are on a hiatus for the summer as we get things in line, but yeah, even in my... uh I raced a few times over the summer, and then I actually only have, even though I said my fall schedule's busier, I technically only also have three races on the calendar and then one to add. I have Nats Park this weekend, and then OCR World Champs, and then World's Toughest Mudder. And I'll probably throw in uh, Tough Mudder DC in between those just to get some more practice work. But, yeah, my schedule's not too bad. just going to be a lot of long-distance training.
0: That it will be. You are going to be running a hell of a lot between now and November. (laughs) Plus, your coach is kind of brutal.
1: (laughs) A little bit. I had a 30-minute tempo run today, and I was like, this is going to be something else. And it actually wasn't too bad, since the weather's finally dropping here in D.C., our humidity is coming down. So it's a little more manageable to run at times. So it's fun not to finish a run and not be dripping.
0: Right now, it is 6.40 p.m., on Tuesday because we're recording this on a Tuesday and I have been sitting at home all day because one of the things that happened while we are on a hiatus is my squat rack broke off the back of my truck and I'm getting my new squat rack kind of sort of today. It's supposed to be out for delivery. I haven't moved from my apartment all day because I don't want it to get stolen from the street. And now I'm gonna to have to get my 43-minute tempo run once we are done here. So it is gonna be nice and cool along the harbor.
1: Not bad. I mean, I thought about doing that a couple times. Is having that nice like afternoon run. But at this point, with being back in office and having to do everything in the morning, I don't know how I do. Th- I don't know how I did things in the afternoon.
0: What's an office?
1: Oh, it's this place where they make you go for some reason, even though you did some of your best work while working from home. So I I occupy an office for eight hours out of the day, just sitting in air conditioning. So that's an office. It's brutal. Um,
0: You know, you should just work for yourself.
1: (laughs) Um, Future plans. That's what I'm hoping for.
0: As of right now, that is my plan. I am officially 100% self-employed.
1: Congratulations. For getting away from uh, Equinox,
0: it is about time.
1: I've been there. I've worked solo. I was a I was a freelance editor for a while. It's uh, it's scary at first, but once you get that client base, it's cake. So
0: yes, well, I'm still building up to there. So if you're listening to this and you need obstacle course race training, hit me up. The OCR trainer, shameless plug. I do online coaching and mobile fitness. If you are in Boston.
1: I will, as a client, I will back that and say, yeah, you probably should. Uh, Because my mobility and speed and strength have gone up. So I've done pretty well. Pretty well for myself under your program.
0: Um, Didn't you run toughest mutter? And at the end of it, your coach kind of yelled at you because you were like, I did pretty well. And I was like, you finished off of the podium by 10 minutes. Why didn't you push harder?
1: (laughs) No, I thought about that afterwards. I was like... I could have, like, not done half a lap with Brian, but I was fine with it at that point. It's also one of those things that when I came in on that, before that final lap, when I came in, it just said I was in seventh. Like, we never got an update on our board, really. It just continually gave you your times and positions. It was one of those things I was like, well, if I was, like, actually on my phone and checking stuff, I would have known. But at the time, I was back in seventh place.
0: You were running third in your age group all night. And then my other client just overtook you on that last lap. So I was like, what are you doing? I'm proud of him for doing that. Because that was his first ever age group podium. But as a coach, I'm going to still push you and say, "Um, you feel like you did really well. But you also thought you had some left in your tank. So what more could we do?
1: Yeah. This was one of those things also that if I had run a toughest already, I probably would have. It probably would have been a completely different race. So. Looking forward to like seeing what I can do at World's Toughest Mudder because now I'm like, all right, I got some familiarity, not with all their giant obstacles that'll be at like world's toughest, but I have a pretty good grasp on their their whole concept. So pretty fun. If you haven't done a toughest mutter, I suggest doing one of those things. They are should have done those way earlier in my career.
0: I honestly looking at it next year like So I ran the Fit Noob Sanity Ultra a couple weeks ago. It was just a 12-hour. It was my first OCR Ultra. I mean, the only other Ultra I ever ran was that 24-hour race, Um, the trail race for Fit. And I came off of that. I mean, I definitely had some issues with, like, cramping. But otherwise, like, looking at it, I definitely think endurance might be in my wheelhouse. I was feeling great the entire time. So I'm looking at it like, hey, who knows? Maybe next year I'll go to World's Toughest Mudder.
1: Yeah, we are both kind of in the same situation where we didn't take on endurance till later in our like running career. So we're like, oh, we actually have some like longevity in this. We're not completely destroyed at this point.
0: Funny that you think I have an, an endurance career or a running career. <laughs> I still don't consider myself a runner.
1: Yeah, I didn't really either up until a couple of years ago. I had no running career. I was just kind of like, nah, I just do these.
0: But speaking about big races... It is that time of year. I I consider this Spartan Summer Camp. It is the most authentic Spartan, for sure. Um, Hell, I'd even say obstacle course race. It is Killington Weekend.
1: Yeah. This is our mecca of, I think, OCR racing. Like, this is an event I still feel like should be OCR World Champs every year, but that's because I'm biased and started when it was OCR World Champs, or not OCR World Champs, excuse me, Spartan Race World Champs every year. But like I feel like this is like this is Z Ultra. This is our probably our best beast on on the uh on the whole schedule. So it's uh it's time. And it's also uh it's the time where a lot of people find out and start worrying, like, did I do this properly? Did I come, did I train for this course properly?
0: Well, it should also be mentioned that um Killington is Right next to Pittsfield, Vermont, where Joe DeSena has his Vermont home. So Killington is actually the home of Spartan because this is where it all got started, really. I mean, yeah, we had the first race out in Namesbury and everything else, but Killington is where you really authentically have Joe DeSena's home. That's, you know, where he put the death race, all the peak races um that green mountain area is home to spartan
1: oh yeah and this is like in my opinion my first beast was killington uh my first ultra beast and only ultra beast has been killington like this Mm -hmm. is the race i think covets and like defines spartan race like if you wanted to figure out why spartan race is like why does it have this like tough demeanor like to the whole brand itself even though we don't like to blow smoke up spartan races ass but like killington is that reason why i think that defines exactly what looks to be like why spartan race have a little bit more grit to them when it comes to their distance races i don't have a good history with this course i've only i've run the beast twice and then i tried the ultra beast three times so i've only gone to killington five times and i'm retired at this point from that from that event um can you
0: ever truly retire from killington though
1: um it's gonna be one of those things where it's like it'll i'll probably do it for a last hurrah or if whenever matt decides to go for the killington ultra again i'd probably try it again
0: you hear that fatty matty you got to come out to killington run that ultra
1: i've told him that before <laughs> like you, when you're ready to try a third time i'll show i probably i might show up
0: so for my track record with killington i start i as i've told people i didn't really run anything more than the fenway sprint for a few years Then 2016, I jumped into a super and I was like, okay, I got my super. I'm going to be going back to Fenway to get my sprint. I'm like, I might as well go and get a beast. I was looking at the schedule and I'm like, oh my God, Killington's the closest one. I said, hell no, I am never going to Killington. I am terrified of Killington. Um, I actually was at a Dropkick Murphys concert instead that weekend in 2016 and said, I will never go to Killington. So in 2017... I went to Killington, and I ran the Beast back-to-back days. And man, did that hurt.
1: I bet. I had a couple friends do that.
0: 2018, I went out and I age-grouped it, and um, I just absolutely loved every second of it. It was so phenomenal. 2019 went back. Ran it again, came off that mountain and said, you know, I think I'm done with Killington. I don't know that I have anything left to prove on this mountain. And then I'd also always told myself, I'm only going to run one Spartan Ultra. If I'm ever going to run a Spartan Ultra, I'm only going to run one. It's going to be Jersey. Because I want to make sure that I earn my buckle, but I also like don't hate myself enough to run Killington. So then when I was like, eh. I'm done with Killington. I have nothing left to prove on Killington. I was like, you know, I think I want to ultra Killington. But then, you know, last year, my sister was going to get married on Killington weekend in Ireland. This year, um, with OCRWC so close to Killington, I can't risk that. Um, next year, we anticipate OCRWC back in Stratton, not too far after Killington. Plus, Rammstein at Foxborough is the night before the Killington Ultra. And sorry, um, I'll still come up to Killington. But Rammstein is once in a rare occasion. And I got to go there. Um But I still want that Killington Ultra.
1: Yeah. My history with that uh, with Killington is 2014. Went up there ran in the championship heat before you had to qualify for it. You just got to step in there. So ran that, um, that was my first beast 2015 and 2016, wait, 2015, ran it. So that was the founders race. That was a shit show. Um, just in general of them building that course, that was a shit show. That's when they had a rope climb that I could literally just run up and just touch, touch the top of that thing. And we got to keep going. Um, 2016, first DNF, uh, didn't make it to the cutoff, uh, was two to three weeks post-PT with uh, plantar fasciitis, so I don't know why they cleared me to run for that, but uh, didn't make it, but did it with a friend, and we got farther than we would have without if we didn't have each other. Uh, 2017, blacked out at Olympus towards the end of the first loop, uh, called it quits because of exhaustion just in general. 2018 finished but had very bad dehydration probably should have dnf'd that well ended up with memory issues off of that once i finished that ultra base i was done i was like i got i got nothing else prove. but i was very close to signing up last year when it was supposed to be the ultra world champs because i was like 24 hours at killington sounds like a pretty terrible idea Should do it. But we didn't end up having it because of COVID. So now it's out in Road.
0: And I was going to sign up for the super out there. Because, like I said, my sister was going to get married on Killington weekend. And my family already told me I was not allowed to run Killington, take a red eye out to Ireland. Then run, um, be in my sister's wedding. So I was going to do the super and then volunteer for... The world championships, and I was really looking forward to that. I thought that was going to be really awesome, but I have my own feeling on this whole 24 hour format for Spartan Ultra World Championships. Um, and we're not going to get into that today, but what we are going to talk about is more Killington stuff because, guys, right before we recorded this, and This episode was more of a Charles and I saying, we really want to get the podcast back up and running. And Charles was like, hey, it's two weeks before Killington. We can talk about how to prep for the ultra. And I'm like, no, actually, it's Killington weekend. (laughs) So we quickly put this together in the sense of saying, hey, let's do this. Um, We don't have any notes, but thank the Lord, Spartan decided to send out that race day guide. An hour before we hit the record button. So we have all of the information that Spartan is going to give us on a Tuesday night before the map is released. So let's take a look at what they are about to go through for this um, weekend. It looks like so looking at that elevation profile, our ultras have 14,082 feet of elevation, which I'm actually surprised. I expected more. Wasn't it between 15 or 16 in 2019?
1: Um, something like that, because I remember by, that was one of their most elevation, but that's because they did Bear Mountain twice. and, they, and the, Well, we did Bear Mountain twice in 2018, but I think they did more. They found, they found more mountain in 2019 somehow.
0: Right. Which it should be mentioned. It looks like they're only doing the ultra loop once this year. And from what we can see on this little elevation guide where it lists the number of miles, we have, what, 30 miles? So we're not even getting a 50K? So really, they could have, they could have done bare mountain twice. Gotten that 15 to 16k and gotten that true 50k. But again, Spartan miles. So we don't know exactly what it is. There very well could be a mile marker 14 for the beast. Um, and that would probably put it over that 50k for the ultras.
1: It feels like it's handicap in this event, but I mean, it's we're not truly surprised at this point after the Palmerton issue, but um
0: And a lot of people DNF'd in 2019.
1: They did, but I think that adds into the myth and legend of the Killington Ultra, that high finish percentages is something that shouldn't be expected. uh, Because we do want, I mean, we don't want this to be easy where you can just wander on, not train and do the course like our other co host did in 2018 and finished ahead of me.
0: Derek is a freak of nature. I don't know how anybody can just decide last minute I'm going to run the Killington Ultra. Not train for it. Be a sprint guy and come away with a buckle.
1: That being said, we Derek will be still on the podcast. We, we, uh, we threw this one together and he works on weekdays. so
0: He works way too much.
1: All the time.
0: But let's see. It looks like for the Beast, they have... 6,412 feet of elevation, so that might be a little bit more than we've had in the past. It says only like 13.4 or something miles based on this elevation guide. Again, I can't see it all that well. I'm looking at the information off of um, I Am a Spartan podcast because they didn't even put the race day guidelines up on the website yet, so um, huge shout out to Scott the Fane's Knowles for that. And then for the sprint, if you are listening to this and running out at the sprint on Sunday, you have 15,032 feet of elevation with about four miles. And hey, it looks like they're not just marching them up to the top of the mountain and right back down. So their elevation is um, spread out a little bit more, which is good to see, because I think that's always my biggest complaint with the sprint at Killington is that They just march you right up to the top of the mountain, right back down, and you cross that finish line. So good job um, for Missy um, designing that one for the sprint. It's nice to see that they're going to have a little bit of elevation here and there.
1: Yeah, they actually have that, like, it looks like they probably run down, I'm assuming, because we don't know what obstacles are here besides, like, little dots. But I'm assuming they're probably running down to the water and then have to climb back up or some sort of thing like that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what I would think. It looks, because it looks like it's the same really low elevation profile like you would for the water. So if anybody's listening to this and hasn't been out to Killington, you start at really the midsection of the mountain. If you, when you drive into Killington, you drive past the lodge with the water, you drive up the mountain a little ways, and then you get to the K1 Lodge, and that is where you have um, base camp, you have you know, the festival area, then that's where you have like the start of the death march, all that kind of stuff. Then you march up to the top and back down. But when you come down to the swim, you have to run all the way down the mountain past where the festival area is in that elevation profile and drop down even lower. And then you'll like run underneath the um, main road out there. You'll get out to the swim. So in, I, I forget what year it was, I think 2018. They did have us run down by the water, but you don't do the swim if you are in the sprint. So the swim to the Tarzan swing that is not part of the swim, the sprint usually,
1: yeah, I have um I'm trying to I'm also currently just trying to pull up my last thing on on a uh, Strava here, which is always fun to try and do. Um, but you know,
0: Strava needs to have a section where you can, like, search month or day or whatever. Because too many it times, I, since when?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I just saw on the bottom, I was like, I can set a time range, and I'm currently. I've
0: definitely been that. training a couple people for the Killington Ultra and like to give them an idea of what the elevation was going to look like. I've pulled up like people that I know that'll have pretty consistent elevation, like Adam Ribeiro. I pulled up his. Killington Ultra in 2019 but like to get to his Killington Ultra I had to like go through like two years cool. of his workouts yeah. and that was just annoying especially with how much he runs Whew. thank god like Adam you are a freak of nature thank you for your data we love it keep crushing it
1: oh uh, okay so we can search through ours but not theirs that's what it was right. Yeah, because I just pulled up Adams too, and I was like, oh. Um <laughs> yeah, the uh, he's. I was trying to think of someone else in my friends group who's run the Spartan Ultra recently. Because my my twenty eighteen, my watch died halfway through, like actually died from water. Um, but the uh, as usual with their water with their swim, it looks like uh, Tarzan is still going to be there, um, which is one of the unique obstacles because you don't get that anywhere else. You get the you get the. Rope climb up, not rope climb, yeah, a Latter, rope, ladder. rope ladder up to the bridge, and then I think it's like four to, I think it's like six knotted ropes to hang from, and then the farthest reaching bell.
0: It is far. <laughs> like, it's
1: really far it's reach.: It's so far.
0: Especially when you're short like me, so I usually have to hold on to the last two ropes and get a really solid swing, and then just like lache it to the bell. But I am a hundred percent at the Tarzan swing. So I'm very proud of that. Right. But pro tip, when you get to the ropes, Look for the ropes that are very consistent across that the knots are on all the same levels because they usually do have a lot of lanes where they'll go from shorter ropes to longer ropes and you are relying 100% on those knots. So if the knots are straight across consistent, you have a better shot of hitting the bell. Um, Two hand on the ropes unless you absolutely trust your monkey swing. Even I... Barely ever hand over hand that.
1: I hand I I mean I've always hand over handed, but I've never actually what I've done is with my long with my longer reach I've always had a rope in the middle, so I'm going like I'm slowly re- I'm never both hands on one. I'm always one hand on each and just kind of slowly working through.
0: Oh, so there's been a couple times where I've been able to just like one arm one hand it, but um, it's you can't on the first couple. Because it's kind of same as when you have like a really muddy rope climb, you, um, you're going to have the wetness and the mud and everything else on the first couple of ropes because that's as far as people got. But then once you get to the later ones, then it's not as wet and your hands are going to be drier so you can um, monkey swing across those.
1: My my tip on that is don't go for the, like it would seem like you would want to go for the ones with the long ropes. But like we said, that bell is usually very far away at the end. So if you're on the long ropes and you're on the bottom, you're not going to be able to reach the bell, really. So if you can find ones that are shorter and it is wor- even though the water is going to be cold, I don't know what it's going to be up in Killington. It's almost always cold uh, in the water.
0: It had it be that cold. that it, I remember it being so cold. I've never cramped in the water at Killington. And that means that the water hasn't been too cold. It's nothing like a Tahoe water. I think people just get a little freaked out because it's Vermont in September. And, like, there is a huge difference in temperature between base camp and the top of the mountain. But it's nothing like a Tahoe
1: temperature difference. It is going to be refreshing for, like, to be Mm a kind of chill-up. But, like... Don't accept the first lane that comes available, because there is going to be a wait. It's Killington. There's going to be people stuck out there with their, uh, with the flotation uh, devices. S. Yeah. Life Vest, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, just don't accept the first lane. I've, even in the Ultra setting, I waited to get the right one, because I got, the one I found the first time was good enough, so I went, waited for the second one when I went there again.
0: I've never not seen a big group of of people in the water. Everybody has to wait in line unless you are, like, the very first ultras to get there. Like, even the elites are going to be stuck behind ultras in the water. And hopefully they can pass and they'll save lanes for just the elites. But who knows? We'll see this year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We'll see how they run it. It'll be interesting how they run that. But it's, uh, I don't know if they're 2018. I don't know what happened in 2019. 2018, they allowed us to take our hydration vests off, even in the ultra elites.
0: That's another thing that actually I was just talking to Brian about that a couple weeks ago. Because, I i mean, obviously at this point, we've ran so many Spartans. And we know the rules. You can't drop your packs. Especially like we've had swims in West Virginia, Tahoe. Um, swims are becoming much more... Um, regular, and you always have to wear a life vest. But because of the life vest you have at Tahoe, um, it, they tell you you have to take your hydration pack off. In Killington, sorry, I think I said Tahoe and I meant Killington. But yeah, you know what I mean. In Killington, because it's the one that goes around your neck and then secures around your waist, as opposed to in West Virginia and in Tahoe. I, I believe in Tahoe, it's the one that goes over your shoulders. So that fits snugly with your pack on. But if the one around the neck, they say, um, in order to fully secure the life vest, you have to take your hydration pack off. So when everybody says, you can't drop this stuff, I, Killington is the only place where I think it's a rule from the resort for safety and insurance purposes. Again, we'll see what happens this year, but I, ha- I remember that in 2018 and 2019.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, don't take our word for it on that. The, uh, when you get there, definitely check your rules on it, because 2018 when I was running it, I remember getting up there, and this was the year Hunter was just kind of like Hunter McIntyre. Don't know that um he was just walking around the event but he was there at the bridge when we got there the first time and i was going to put the life vest on and the ref not ref volunteer was uh saying like you don't have to wear your vest you can put your pack down this is the first time i've ever heard of this and i kind of looked at them and then i looked at hunter and hunter was just like do what he says (laughs) like and i just like threw the pack off i was like okay because i've never run a killington where they didn't require it uh where they didn't let us take our packs off for the water so um, if it lets you take your packs off, do it. It saves it's it's so so much easier. It saves your gear from getting completely soaked or losing food in the water to swim, which I've done. Um,
0: sunglasses.
1: Glasses. I've even though I'm a gooder person, I've yet to fully do my race in my sunglasses because I will lose them.
0: <laughs> I have done races in my sunglasses and knock on wood. I've never lost a pair. Thank you, gooder.
1: But yeah, that's the uh, the swim. Embrace the swim, because it's a refreshing point, especially for the ultras both times. A nice like mm-hmm. rinse-off lets you get cooled off a little bit, because somehow it gets hot at Killing Gym, and that's my biggest problem with it. Just being stuck out on those slopes in the heat can just take it out of you. But luckily, y'all are only, they're only doing Bear Mountain once. Looks like just based on the map, it looks like they're doing Bear Mountain once. So... Not
0: the map, the elevation profile. We do not have access to the map yet. Um, but also looking at the elevation profile, it looks like they're doing the death march at mile three. Yeah. How disappointing.
1: I don't know if it's di- like it's disappointing, but at the same time, because it's usually like one of the final things. So you're looking at like a mile 11, 12.
0: Well, it's been like 9, 10. I think. 2018, 2019 was like 9, 10, and then you have that double black diamond coming down. It looks like they're coming down that double black diamond and around um, and going up the death march at mile three, which is very unfortunate.
1: It's uh, it's going to suck for anybody in the ultra who is really behind on time. Yes. That's where it's going to be really bad. It's coming back out of the transition loop, and then you have to do K1. Um the Death March, which is, I mean, it's a staple of Killington. It's it's historic. It's even its own its own segment on Strava. <laughs> it's, hey, it's...
0: I was just there, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Brian, Titan, and Brian's girlfriend and I all went out to Killington. Literally woke up at five thirty in the morning, drove up to Killington, did the Death March, came down, went home. Um, so oh, yeah, you know, fun. You know, did it once we did it once fun six hour drive for one trip up the death march um brian's girlfriend doesn't um she's not big into hiking um she doesn't run like she's not into racing like brian and i are so we went out and did the death march i felt great there were segments that i was running and i was like this is amazing i didn't really need to stop the only times we stopped was because, like, Titan was like, eh, maybe I don't want to be doing this right now. Or else then, like, Megan was struggling with um, her foot choice and everything else. Um, so it was a little slower, but, like, I got a full Killington segment death march because of it. And, yeah, I, like, being back on it and training on it, it is not as hard as I remember it. And I think it's because I am so used to it being mile 910. I'm not used to coming in fresh for a death march. And I feel like a mile three death march, you're coming in really fresh. So, you know, it's not going to have the same allure of getting to the top of the death march and having all of the New England Spartans there cheering you on, giving you shots, giving you hugs, saying, oh, you just have to go down the mountain and you're done. Like, no, you're death marching and then you have 10 more miles. And that is going to be the worst part.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like the thing with the death march was, well, it's obviously hard because it's long. It has like five to a hundred different false peaks on it because every time you're like, oh, there's the top. It's not the top.
0: It's really not that bad. But that's because seeing it fresh, it doesn't, it doesn't look as bad. When you're out on race day and you're like mentally depleted, it definitely feels a lot worse. It starts with that like single track kind of fieldy area where it's really steep single track with some like um, rocks and roots. And then you get more into the like the open field feel. And then you have the plateaus, not quite the false peaks. There are a couple of false peaks in there. And then you're going through this like open field with plateau to plateau to plateau to plateau. And then you have that really steep. Incline up to the top of the gondolas or else the around through the little trees and up and the road.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those things that like when it's later in the race, it's a mental game. It's there to psych you out. It's hard. You if you like if you stop on it, really, this is like a a note for the ultra since you're going to be doing it after your transition. Don't stop on it. I mean, it's going to suck. Your body's going to be like, I want to take a rest. If you stop on it, you're going to be stuck on the, the, the death march for a long time. Because once you do one stop, you're going to go a couple moves. You're going to want to stop again. Just head down and just walk. Just, just walk.
0: And I would say this for the beast, too. Like, don't stop on the death march unless you have to. Talk to everybody around you. Definitely don't look up. Um, but then count your steps. Say, I am going to get in 50 steps before I stop again. Or I'm going plateau to plateau to plateau to plateau. Um, Don't, you want to think long game, but break it up and have smaller goals. Um, One of the big things um, I've seen this past couple weeks with training people out at the ski hill at the Blue Hills in Massachusetts, a lot of people And I I recall this from the death march, too. A lot of people try to walk up it backwards. They try to walk up it sideways to decrease the pain on their, like, hip flexors and whatever else. But don't. Like, if you are walking backwards up a hill, you are getting an eccentric load on your quads and I know a lot of people don't know what that means but the eccentric phase of uh, exercise is what makes you extra sore it's what leads to all of the overuse injuries so it's going to put extra pressure on your knees you are asking your quads to do a job they're not trained for because you didn't train your hamstrings and your glutes so now when you need to use your quads to go back down the hill your knees are going to hurt you even more And you're going to cramp in your quads and your adductors because you have already utilized all of your quad strength on something it wasn't supposed to do. So stay forward on that death march. Lean into the mountain. Get the hamstrings and the glutes firing if your hip flexors are bothering you. If your back is bothering you, you need to stretch your hip flexors more. You need to get up on the midfoot the balls of your feet a little bit more, because you're most likely heel striking, you're deactivating your hamstrings, your glutes, and you are putting all of that pressure onto your hip flexors and back. And this is where you really needed to be training your deadlift. You really needed to be training, you know, your hip hinging patterns, your single leg bridging, single leg squatting. I don't care about all of the bilateral squatting and the lunging you are doing. I want to see you doing all of your single leg um, hip hinging work. That is what is getting you up the death march. Not turning around, walking backwards, because that is going to be cramp city.
1: My mistake for the longest time, like years past, was going up there. I mean, granted, stopping was my one of my major mistakes, but it was power hiking it. Which power hiking, yes, it works in short distances. Like if you're going to get up the next one, you can power hike up so you don't have to run it. But you can't power hike K one. Like you if you are, you're gonna be over. You're gonna be overstriding. You're gonna be cooking your quads. It's it's a little exhausting. I take I don't take tiny steps. I take like pondering steps, like where I'm literally just one foot in front of the other, consistent pace up, not overstriding, not understriding, and just going at one pace the whole way.
0: A lot of people end up heel striking a good amount when they're power hiking. You do not want to heel strike when you're climbing a mountain. If you're heel striking, you are utilizing all your calves. If you're using that full range of motion on your calf, you're also going to be using a good amount of range of motion from your hamstring. That you need to be using for with your glutes to get you up. If you stay up on that midfoot a little bit more. Keep your steps a little shorter. And think push down into the mountain. You are going to be using your glutes and hamstrings more. Than your calves and your. um Where your calves and hamstrings overlap.
1: Anytime I power hiked it was that problem. Where I, I wasn't heel striking. But I was ex- over exerting myself at that point. For no actual benefit. I was just. In my head, I think I thought I was going up the mountain faster, when really I was uh, I was kind of putting a little more strain onto my legs than I needed to. Um, I've developed, I've developed where I said I have like this nice pondering stride, and it literally is like head down. I have my hands behind my back, like I'm questioning this whole decision. <laughs> like, but it's just because I don't want to look. I just want to look at the ground and slowly work my way up. If I can find people to talk to, I can. Last time I went up, I uh, talked with Katie Purcell because we were both on stride with each other. So we just slowly walked up K1 at a consistent pace and didn't stop. And then once we got to the top, we just parted ways on whoever's pace was going. I don't remember because I don't remember a lot of that race because I, I had really bad dehydration issues. So I don't remember a lot of the second half of that race. Um, but. Uh, that brings me my second major stressor for this. Dear God, stay hydrated on this course. Um, I have had so many issues in the past with dehydration on other races and this one. This one, I hit moderate dehydration, which is moderate it sounds like, that's eh, fine. There, moderate is borderline severe dehydration. Moderate is before your, your internal organs start shutting down good sign of your moderate dehydration is happening is if you stop sweating. Um, and it's not stop sweating because you're cooled down. It's because your body's making a conscious choice to go. We're not going to put any more water out to keep you cool. We're going to keep that water in and try and keep your organs alive while you're doing this. Um, so, and I've preached this to other people and I can definitely tell it psyched them out a little bit. It's you really, you will know when your body stopped sweating. And it's not because you've cooled down, you will realize like, I haven't had any water. Why am I no longer sweating? It's because (laughs) you're, you're facing dehydration and it's not a point of no return. It's just a good idea to really stay on top of that. But since they're not doing that ultra loop twice, they're pretty well set up to have hydration on course. But the main tip for that is anytime you come across some water, fill your bottles if they let you. If they don't, I still fill my bottles. Um, I don't know what the COVID rules are with that. I <laughs> with that now, so it could be a different rule. But fill your bottles if you can. Uh, get as much water in you as you can. It never it never hurts to drink when you can.
0: So it looks like right now there are ten aid stations on the Ultra. The and I'm assuming that means the Ultra, including the loop. So one lap. Of the Ultra with the loop. There are 10 stations with only nine on the Beast. So for an Ultra, you add the 10 plus the nine. You're gonna have 19 chances to fill up your hydration pack. There's gonna be three on the sprint. Um, If you are using a belt or you have a hydration pack with the little water bottles or the little soft flasks, they are more lenient about refilling the soft flasks and the little water bottles than they are for the bladder. So there are going to be bladder-specific refueling stations where instead of, like, the jugs of water, they're going to have, like, the big um, thing with the hoses. Um, you're, they're only going to let you refill a bladder at the larger of the hydration stations, whereas um, they'll let you, they're more likely to let you refill the soft flasks and the little water bottles at every station. Again, don't quote us on that. Just from my experience in years past, when I've gone with just a nutrition belt, they've let me refill my like ten ounce bottles at any station that I went to. Um just because it's not gonna take up quite as much water. Uh, but also like don't don't be a dick and like if you're refilling your bladder or your water bottles, don't use a cup and grab an extra water for yourself. Like Just use the one that you're refilling because that is still water for all the racers. Um, Plus, that cuts down on waste. Um, But also, I hear a lot of people asking about if there's going to be fuel in terms of, you know, Honey Stinger is a sponsor or they've put out pickle juice or whatever else. Guys, if you have not figured out your fueling strategy as of right now, don't rely on what they're giving you out on course because you don't know how your body is going to react to it. All of your testing and your nutrition should be done. Only take electrolytes that you know and you've trained with. Only take fuel that you have trained with. Again, you should be eating about every 45 minutes when you're out on course. You know, Make sure you have whatever mustard, pickle juice, salt tabs you want in the event you cramp. But don't rely on what Spartan is going to give you because they're only giving you things because somebody paid them to have that product out on course.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely not guaranteed that that nutrition is going to be there all day because they run out. Of course, it's where it's like they'll give you shock blocks in the first lap, second lap. There's nothing there. Uh, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't rely on it. I mean, if you, especially if you can grab it when it's there, maybe. But I've never really taken it from them where i'm just kind of like i've got my own gear this is what i need and it's gonna it's gonna get me through
0: the only time i've ever taken that fuel when i was out on course is because like i was already taking cliff blocks and i had a pack of cliff blocks but then they had like the cliff blocks like already cut open in half So it was easier for me to just, like, grab half a thing of Cliff Blocks and keep going than to, like, reach into my pack and open it up. But, like, my body was already used to it. But also, they were only giving people half a serving of Cliff Blocks. So many people thought that because they were only being given two or three Cliff Blocks that all they needed was every 45 minutes was, like, one or two blocks. When really, a serving of Cliff Blocks or a serving of the Honey Stinger Chews or whatever else – It is a full package. I had to tell a client who was getting ready to run Killington, you need more than one singular block every 45 minutes. It's a huge difference. So don't trust what Spartan is giving you out on course. They're trying to cut costs, but also give you something from their sponsor to hopefully sell more product.
1: And uh, in terms of nutrition on course, like, my approach has always been different because it's been i approach it from like the ultra running mindset where i try and bring on actual food like i'm not bringing a full pizza onto killington which i've done but um when it comes to like especially the transition area would you recommend because in the past i've done this every year putting in an actual thing of food not like a full meal but like you have a sandwich you have a pizza whatever like food you have in the uh, what you prefer just for that midpoint refuel. Would you recommend that?
0: Honestly, I did it on the beast. The first year I ran the Killington beast. I mean, most people, the first time they run Killington, they're planning to be out there six, eight, 10 hours. That I made myself a ham sandwich with mustard and pickles and I threw it in my pack and I wasn't running Competitively, I was just running open, and I knew that I had to race it again the next day. So, you know, if I could stop at the top of the death march and eat a sandwich, I was going to. But, I mean, for the Fit Ultra I ran a couple weeks ago, I, you know, I'm not a big pizza person, but I do believe and I know that pizza is a really good fueling strategy for ultras. And I ordered a pizza a couple nights before. I... Single serving, wrapped it up in tinfoil, had it in my cooler. I had like two slices of pizza over the course of that 12 hours just in my pit. So as I came in, I would grab a slice of pizza, change out my Enduro Elite, hit my legs with a Theragun quick, and I'd be off and running again. And it really worked. I didn't feel like I needed all that much extra fuel, but I mean, I'd still bring out. My honey stinger, gels and chews and whatever else. But when I was in a pit situation, I would always get something real and then have that like quote unquote race fuel, the easy to grab gels and chews for while I was out on laps um, just so I could cover all bases because you are going to get sick of gels and chews really fast but they're the easiest thing you can pack for when you are physically on course. So don't even touch gels and chews when you are in your transition area, except for in the sense that you are refilling your pack. Do not open them while you're in the transition area. Get the real food.
1: Yeah, it is. uh It's also, yeah, like you said, I, we're you're going to get tired of gels and stuff. The actual food in your transition area is going to give you that nice, quick mental break from this, especially because now you are going to be approaching doing the death march. Now a full supposed half marathon in, um, so that like extra bit of whatever sandwich or whatever your food of choice is going to be. It's a good thing to have in your transit in your, uh, your bucket area. Um, speaking of just the bucket area in general, Um, I have a few quick tips that I like to store in there. Every year I've almost packed. I don't pack a full change of clothes, but I have the options to at least maybe possibly change shoes if you have two pairs, Um, especially because you're probably going to be soaking wet.
0: I, I always recommend that. Always have a second pair of shoes for the Ultra. Shoes and socks.
1: Yeah, if you can quick change socks, definitely. I wear the toe socks, so that takes a little bit more time to get on. Um, so I have always just changed shoes. But I've even brought a change of shirt because it's it's Killington and I sweat my ass off. So I've changed my shirt in there. If you have multiple bottles for uh, for your hydration vest, prep the ones you're you can transition into. Where you can literally just pull your old ones out and put fresh ones in. Because that'll save you... Just a few minutes in transition time, and you don't want to be in transition that long. Um I would say almost a max of five minutes, but um, that depends on what you're doing. Just don't. I wouldn't even recommend fully sitting down in transition, really, because you don't want to succumb to like sitting in there. It's
0: funny. If you look at my Strava for that Fit Ultra and you look at my moving time versus my elapsed time, there's only a difference of like four seconds. And that's because I did not stop um, to sit down. I literally I had four bottles to swap out. I had three of them pre-mixed with Enduralite and then one that I could just quickly continue to refill with water. And I only went through those three bottles of Enduralite and then refilled the water one, like, two or three times, and that was it. So, um, obviously, have, like, two and two or whatever else you need because you're only going into transition once as opposed to the lap races where you're just continuing to go in and out of your pit. But definitely don't sit down. If you sit down, you're not going to want to get
1: back up. Getting extra bottles is something I'm working on for World's Toughest because that's going to save me a lot of time in transition.
0: Yeah, I even did that at the twenty four hour last year. I'm like, I'm not risking it. <laughs> and if you have a pit crew, they can be like refilling your bottles while you're out. Like, that's that's all their job.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's why I have a I have a pit for World Stuffus actually.
0: So. so we, since we are talking about transition, we there, there's a huge part of the Killington Ultra and specifically Killington that we really need to go over. Because it, this is what gets everybody. And that is the course cutoffs. The very first cutoff of the ultra is that transition area. I know you guys are going out at like 6 a.m., 6 30, whatever else. Um, there is a hard cutoff in the transition area. You need to be through, not just into the transition, by two. So that means you have to be into and out of the transition area by 2 p.m. I also point out, and I'm sure you've had to deal with this before, but I know that I've seen plenty of ultras where they have a start time of 6 a.m. And as soon as the elites get there, they're like, the course isn't ready. We have to push it. We have to push it. We have to push it. And there have been a lot of ultras that are pushed. The start time is pushed. 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, and with something like Killington, where every second on course matters, um, you are risking losing a lot of time just from them pushing start times back, and they're not pushing that course cutoff back. So 2 o'clock is that hard first cutoff, and a lot of people don't make it. I remember coming down from that double black diamond. We're getting it. It's we've seen mile marker 13 in 2019. And I was looking around at all of the ultras with their red headbands, which means their age group. And I said, guys, you're gonna make it. We're getting into the festival area now. You're so close. You're gonna get through transition. It's like one o'clock. And then we turn the corner and there's mile marker 14. Almost none of those people made course cutoff. They might have gotten into the transition. But they were so close to 2 o'clock when we got in that they didn't make it back out. So, first and foremost, 2 o'clock is that transition area.
1: And uh, 2 o'clock is not even that It's not even that unrealistic of a, to make a transition. There is enough time in there, even if you're slightly taking it easy. Like, if you're just doing a run jog of the course, 2 o'clock is very reasonable. Um, i almost take the mindset of like don't destroy yourself just to get to two o'clock because you could get there faster than you think um especially with the way the course is going to be designed it's looking don't can't confirm it for sure but like two o'clock is not going to be if anybody's worried about that do not let the two o'clock time cut off sit in your head so that you end up pushing yourself too far and now you're exhausted by the time you get your transition
0: but also don't take it easy and be like, meh, 2 o'clock is easy to get to. I'm just going to take my time. I'm going to sit at the top of the death march. I'm going to take a shot. Like, um, I know that I ran in the, you know, first age group wave for the Beast. So that went off at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I, I made that 2 o'clock time cut off to get across the finish line. But it was very close. A lot of people spent more time than they expected on that beast in 2019, and a lot of people didn't make that 2 o'clock transition time because they thought we were going to come down from the mountain, see that mile marker 13, and go into the transition. And because they put that extra go up, and so many people took their time when they saw mile marker 13, they missed that time cutoff.
1: Outside of the 2 o'clock one, I think really the only the only two major ones for your the course cutoffs to remember especially coming into transition because it's the next follow-up one they say at 4 p.m you need your headlamp so if you're going into transition technically at start in 2018 we required to have headlamps at the start so you should almost always have it on you
0: because um the sun isn't gonna be completely up um, I, I don't think it's going to be completely up at Killington at 6 a.m., so they've always um, required it. And then, so this is, and I know we talked about this before we hit the record button, but when I ran the Beast in South Carolina in 2016, I had a start time of like 12.30. And in the rule book or what in the race day, Information they said anybody who started after noon has to have a headlamp, and then by like five o'clock or four thirty they were going to start checking everybody for a headlamp. Now in the race day registration that was sent out today it says you have to have a headlamp if you're on course after four. I want to know if they are still checking people at noon at the start line because they're having heats going off until one thirty in the afternoon so do those people have to have headlamps to start as well if you're race running the ultra if you are starting your second lap afternoon i would definitely say have your headlamp
1: yeah definitely bring one uh bring one uh if have it in a ziploc bag as well just in case you do have to for some reason wear your pack uh always bring a good ziploc bag keep that thing dry or any other uh objects out of there um, the other final course cutoff is that 9 p.m. One.
0: Nope. There's two others.
1: Oh, I was only mentioning the major ones. I forgot. about. Oh, the no, other no. Let's ones. mention them all yeah. because
0: what, how I'm, um, how I'm kind of race planning with my clients is go cutoff to cutoff It you know, first cutoff is that two o'clock. So don't think about anything. Thing other than that, two o'clock. Once you're through two o'clock, then you say okay. The next cutoff, cutoff. The headlamp thing isn't actually a cutoff. I mean, you will get pulled from the course if you don't have your headlamp. Uh, but the next cutoff is five o'clock at Bender. So once you get from that transition, then once you get through Bender, you can say okay, I made this cutoff. I don't have to worry about this anymore. Then after that, at six thirty. You have to get through the spear. If you're through the spear. Before 6.30 or at 6.30. You've made it. The last one is that 9 o'clock cutoff. And they do that just to make sure. That they don't have too many lost racers. That they have to account for. Throughout the day as it gets darker.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the 9 p.m. cutoff is. Also very very reasonable. Like. To be to be done by the be done with the ultra beast by then um to be done with the also even the beast by then because what is that 1 is the final start time so six and a half hours. what what um <laughs> eight and a half hours to finish that race so it's not it's not too too terrible too demanding of this course um was there anything else we wanted to hit for the competitor for anybody racing this side.
0: Um, let me check. I did. So I think it is important just to kind of talk about other things to anticipate for Killington. Um, like I, we mentioned, you're not going to have as big of a temperature differential between base of the mountain and peak, but you can get a little bit of a difference. Like when we were out there a couple weeks ago, we started, I mean, we when we got there, it was raining. We waited out the rain. Then we went... Go- and got going it was foggy at the top of the mountain the middle of the mountain you could see both top and bottom just fine once we got back up to the top it was super foggy it is going to be colder at the top of the mountain than at the bottom of the mountain um it looks like the swim is most likely and again we don't have the map so we can't say for sure but it looks like the swim is going to be after the death march so you're not going to climb quite as high once you are wet except for the ultras of course Um, a dry bag with a long sleeve shirt, a buff, whatever else for when you get to the top of the mountain, um, would be helpful The weather isn't looking to be too bad though. Right now there's a high of 70, there's a low of like 48. So it's going to be a little cooler at the top, but when you get there, you're going to be good and sweating. So just keep moving and it shouldn't be that hail, sleet, rain thing we had to deal with in 2019. Um. Then other things, I mean, have fun. I've always considered this like a Spartan summer camp. I've always stayed in houses with a shit ton of people. You know, everybody is going out to die on the mountain. Yeah, you're going to get to bed a little early the night before, but you're going to have fun. You're going to laugh. Meet the people around you. After you're done, take the gondola up to the top of the death march. Sit up there and cheer people on, Um, especially those ultras because they're going to be suffering out there all day. Um, I always tell everybody to stay at the festival area once you're done, wait till it gets dark and watch all of the headlamps coming down the mountain. That is one of the coolest things you'll ever see. And then stand there and cheer people on by all of the cutoffs and just really Give them support. This is the hardest thing they've probably ever done in their life. This ultra buckle is no joke. It's not something that you can just sign up for a walk in the park and collect that buckle six hours later. This is a knockout, dragout fight. And if you are collecting a buckle at Killington, you earned it.
1: Yeah, I covet mine it's the only one i have uh from it's the only spartan ultra beast i've finished it's the only one i've wanted to do and i like i covet my buckles because it took me three tries to get it and once i finally got it it was just a massive weight off my shoulders um and a lot of the times on course it was when i did get to interact with just people spectating and people on course um It definitely does make a massive difference to know there are people out there who are at least, like, watching you and respecting, like, what you're doing by cheering you on. Because there's nothing worse than, like, doing this event, feeling like shit after so many miles. And then just being in the dead quiet, like, people watching you do an obstacle. Or if you failed, doing your burpees and then feeling even more like shit. So... Support your uh, ultras. I loved coming across the people who were doing the afternoon heats for the beast. And they were just talking with me as I went past encouraging me, like basically saying, like, can't believe you're doing this. This is such a hard race. You're killing it. Like it means the world to people doing an ultra. So even if they don't acknowledge it, they're hearing it.
0: Completely. When somebody says ultra coming through, move out of the way, let them go ahead of you. On obstacles, but as they pass, say good job, ultra, or talk to them, ask how they're feeling. Because honestly, when you are in ultra mind, all you want is somebody to talk to and engage with. I know a couple weeks ago, I was going into a really dark place on my fourth lap. I suddenly was really badly craving a Coke, and my mind was just going elsewhere because I was looking at the same loop over and over and over, and it was so monotonous. Somebody came up and we were just talking and running at the same pace, having a conversation. He carried me through the entire lap just because we were talking. And then he offered me a seltzer water. It's like the little bit of conversation with an ultra can change their entire race. I went from, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. And I was only, you know, 13 miles in to finishing 31 miles. I was completely fine for the rest of the race. All because when my mind started to go, somebody, just talked to me for a good amount of time and helped me get through it, pulled my mind out of there and brought me back to reality. Cause that ultra dark place can be really dark when you're
1: alone. Oh yeah. It makes it so much easier. The amount of people I've met on course and just brief talking with them, like helped me carry, helped carry me through the race. And it's a lesson I learned really early. And it's a, it's a thing I tell a lot of people. If you find someone on course, you always come across people who are just somehow doing your pace or if they're just slightly under your pace, but you are somehow keeping stride with them. Even the shortest of conversation, like quickest passing thing You're just talking with them real quick. If they've ever done an ultra beast, this is my first just swap quick stories. And then if you scamper off or they scamper off, I mean, it'll be enough to just change your whole outcome of that race. Because most of these races I've only finished because I sat and talk, not sat and talk, but talk with people during the course and got through these races. So it, it makes a world of a difference.
0: 100%. We will always support you ultras, but we w- what we will not support is the people who realize they're not going to make their course cutoffs, cost their penny into a bush and then go collect a beast medal. Remember, this is one of the most coveted buckles in all of Spartan, in all of OCR ultra running. You sign up for an ultra, you run an ultra, or you don't collect a medal.
1: It's all or nothing.
0: Don't be that guy. This is one of the toughest things you will ever do. Take pride in that. If you DNF, hold your head high, come back and kick ass again next year. This is not something that you just simply collect a medal. You have to earn it.
1: I, I wore my back-to-back DNFs with absolute pride that I got it because I was like, you know what, third time's a charm, and it's—I uh, mean, it, it rang true. But it was something that I was like, I'm doing the hardest ultra in the Spartan catalog, and I'm gonna—I'm gonna get this thing before I do any others. Um, and I just wore those DNFs with pride and kept doing it. And yeah, there is no shame in realizing. There's also no shame in realizing that you might not get this race if you are behind on time because it's a learning experience. And these are things you are not going to figure out. Sometimes your preparation's not going to work. And that's OK. It's a learning experience. Um, you get a whole season to figure it out. <laughs> and it's worth it's worth finishing it healthy than putting yourself in a dangerous position.
0: Completely. There's a reason why so many people try to sign up for as early of a start time as possible. And that's because they know they need all the time in the world to get through to that finish line. If you are realizing that you're not going to have enough time to finish, that is okay. It gives you a goal for next year. Talk to the people around you. Hopefully they can help keep you on pace and keep you reminded about those cutoffs. Because not only do the ultras have to remember these cutoffs, but the beast has to as well. It's going to be a little bit easier for a lot of those beast people. But if you're starting at 130 on the beast, you're pretty much going with all of the people that just barely made it through the ultra cutoff. So you also have to be cognizant of those course closures. So you are ahead of the curve and getting to that finish line before nine because they are not going to extend those course cutoffs for you. So just be cognizant of it. And if it's not in the cards, it's not in the cards. It's just going to give you a goal and a story to come back for next year. It is okay. Like I've said, I am not running Killington this year. I'm sad about it. But I will still be out at Killington. If anybody has been following What's been going on, on my Instagram. I have been selected and I am an obstacle specialist instructor now for Spartan. Um, I, they called me, they asked if I could work the Killington race. I said, of course I can. They said, great, you're on the schedule. And then last week they posted and said somebody else was teaching it. Didn't tell me that. So I sent an email. I said, um, last I heard I was teaching it. You gave me the code for it. Um, You said, great, you're on the schedule. They're like, oh, somebody else confirmed you are our backup. I said, "Uh, but you told me I was going to teach it. I cleared my calendar. I'm volunteering the next day because if I'm going to be up in Killington teaching, I'm going to stick around and I'm going to volunteer for the ultras. I'm going to marshal. So if you are out there and you are running age group, you better be following those rules because I promise you, I will be out to uphold the rules. So no music. Don't take your pack off for anything except the swim and do your burpees because I will be watching and I will be counting. But after a little bit of back and forth, they came back and said, this is totally our mistake. Um, The other coach is not going to teach it anymore. And we are going to have you coach it because a couple people did reach out to them and say, "Uh, I signed up because Megan was going to teach it. So I am now back on. So if you want to come and take the obstacle specialist course on Friday, if you are hearing this before Friday morning, um, I know we're not going to have much time with that, but I do have a 10% off code on my Instagram that you can sign up for the obstacle specialist course. Come get on course before the race with me because they're not doing a um, open house right now. So the only opportunity to get on obstacles, to learn technique, everything else before race day would be to take this course. That being said, we should also point out they have increased the time for the drop bin and the ultra registration on Friday. Um, Registration for ultras is from 2 to 6 p.m. on Friday. You can drop your stuff and you can pick up your pennies. That is ultra only. If you can't get there Friday before 6, you can get there wicked early on Saturday morning. But they are trying to limit how many people actually need to register and get checked in on Saturday because they do have limited volunteers that early. And then they have all of the beasters coming in as well.
1: I will also not be at killington this year i will be there in spirits uh because i have left a little piece of me every single time i've done that race um I, but i will be cheering people on from social media and just watching the results in general just seeing how people are doing um if people are listening to this on thursday i am always open to last minute advice i give my my thing is i can tell you what i did wrong and that's the best thing but when it's if you're asking for advice on thursday Hopefully it's small advice uh, because there's not much I can do. At that, There's not much we can change at that point.
0: Guys, make sure to tag us in your posts about Killington as well. We want to hear about it. We want to share your successes. Uh, we do want to talk about a bunch of the races that have been happening this year. So we want to get everybody's experiences on race day. So tag us in your posts, message us, talk to us about what you've been experiencing because we want to hear about it.
1: Oh, yeah. Believe it or not, we are all we do get notifications all the time for middle of the pack podcast Instagram. I know we're not active, but we are hoping to get a little bit more engaged on it. You
0: know, somebody did turn off those notifications, and now I only get notifications when people like send us messages. Yeah. And that's really annoying, even though I'm one of those people that gets an- notifications for literally everything. Um, except I do get a lot of direct messages to Instagram accounts and. Because I'm getting so many from people I don't follow, it doesn't always come through. So if you do ever message me and I don't get back to you, I'm sorry. A lot of times that doesn't send me a notification. Um, but, yeah, my middle of the pack pot notifications have mysteriously been turned off by the other person sharing the account with me.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why they do that. I don't know why they would do that at but all. But, yes, um, please message so- us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any ideas as well for topics, ideas. Um, We are open to everything. We're hoping to get back on a regular schedule as we can. Uh, But yeah, life does take, I mean, we could probably get out one more episode before OCR world champs, but that would probably be our next topic actually.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well then guys, good luck. Go crush it this weekend. We can't wait to hear how it goes. Regardless of if you're running Killington out in Seattle, or if you're just doing that little old sprint out in D.C. Um, there, There's also what? Uh, Savage out in Maryland. There's Bonefrog in Charlotte. Um, I don't even know where else they're, they're racing this weekend. But wherever you are taking on the course, good luck. Go crush it. We can't wait to hear about it. Um, so my name is Megan. I'm... The OCR Trainer, MeggieBATC on Instagram. The OCR Trainer on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. I have a website. I'm trying to get more going with that. And I do offer online coaching if you are looking for an obstacle course race coach. And yeah, Charles, do you want to give some plugs?
1: I have, uh, I'm on Instagram at Sabertooth underscore OCR. That is S-A-B-R-E-T-O-O-T-H underscore OCR. Um, I have links on there for stuff. If you want to see my video work and such, I am looking, still looking for video work in, in the Northeast. So if people have that, but um, I don't really have anything else to plug because I'm only active on that one social media. But yeah, you can follow us at Middle of the Pack Pod on Instagram and Facebook. We don't do anything with our Twitter, but <laughs> on our On our Facebook and Instagram, you can find our link tree, which is links to all our download sites. Um, But you're already listening to this, so you found it. Um, Rate, like, subscribe, recommend.
0: Please feel free to share it. Awesome. Well, until next time, guys, we are Middle of the Pack podcast. We'll see you soon.